before we come to read from Genesis 7, I want to really introduce the this, this series. Um, these two words that we're going to be looking at, to the left of them in our Bibles, to the left of them in the paragraphs and sentences uh, that precede them, are some of the bleakest, uh, some of the most graphic descriptions of disobedience or rebellion or judgment. And to the right of these two words lie some of the richest, sweetest words of life and hope and light. These two words, but God, signify and highlight for us God's intervention in our troubles. James Montgomery Boyce Um, An American uh, preacher wrote this. May I put it quite simply. If you understand those two words, but God, they will save your soul. If you recall them daily and live by them, they will transform your life completely. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful description of them. Now, those little words occur some 657 times in our Bibles. That's not all of them. Because, well, if you not, don't just look for but God, but for but the Lord, or but Jesus, or but He, or but you. Um, as you go through those, and you were to do a search in your computer, Uh, For those phrases, you would find about 657 of them, and you would weed them out, and you would get about 230 of them. And that's what we have here uh, on nine pages of double-column print, and that's only in the New American Standard Bible. Um, uh, Of those, some are simply factual Uh, making statements about God, the like of which we often see in the Psalms. But you have saved us from our adversaries, Psalm 44, verse 7, and you have put to shame those who hate you. Um, Also, uh, Psalm uh, 37, for the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up, Psalm 27, uh, verse 10. But even with those simply factual statements, uh, and sometimes it's hard to to draw a line between ones that are are factual and and ones that you would want to read a bit more significance into, but even those ones, uh, there's much benefit to begin by looking at them, but um, we're not going to look at every occurrence uh, of this little phrase. Uh, Some are prayers. Psalm 109, verse 21. But you, O God, the Lord, deal kindly with me for your name's sake. Or Psalm, uh, sorry, Psalm 41, verse 10. But you, O Lord, sorry, that's the one I read, I read earlier. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and read me, raise me up. No, it's not the one I read earlier. Psalm 44, verse 7. Simply history. But you have saved us from our adversaries. Uh, Psalm 41, verse 10, But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me. It's a request. It's a prayer. Uh, Some of them 
Uh, many of them, in fact, occur in the Gospels, and they're just simple uh, statements that introduce what Jesus says. But he said to him, uh, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But the Lord answered her and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, so there's all those sorts of occurrences. And there's some that don't go from darkness to light. They're not a pivot, they're not a hinge, they go from darkness to darkness. Um, so, uh, for example, uh, Deuteronomy one forty-five. Then you returned and wept before the Lord. The children of Israel had been disobedient, but the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. They had been disobedient. They had rejected him. And uh, they had not bothered going into Canaan. And when God told them, and then they came when it was too late, uh, and God says, but the Lord did not listen uh, to, uh, to their voice. Um, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. But there are many occasions where uh, that little phrase, I'm telling you all of that so that as you're reading through your Bible and you, you see the word but and it's followed by but God or but he or but Jesus and you look and you go, I don't see any significance here. I don't see what Mark's getting at. There will be times like that because there's about 240 occurrences of it but about half of them seem to, to, to act as pivots or hinges or transitions between darkness uh, and light and we want to look at some of those. They're turning points. Uh, the writer of a book with the title, But God, uh, has as his subtitle, Two Words at the Heart of the Gospel. Two Words at the Heart of the Gospel. And so we want to come to uh, one of the first occurrences of it in Genesis 8, verse 1. Yes, here we have the, the first dramatic occurrence of our phrase, but God, and it's highly dramatic because it's slap bang in the middle of the biggest drama in the Old Testament. Biggest because it takes in the whole globe, not just the, the empires and nations around the Middle East, but the whole globe. God had created the world perfect, and yet man has descended in such a short space of time into such wickedness, that we read in Genesis chapter 6 that God was grieved that he had made mankind and he takes on to destroy mankind from the face of the earth. Then we read in chapter 7 of the, the rain starting and the fountains of the deep bursting open and the, imagine the churning and the turmoil and the earthquakes and the thunder and the lightning and the dark and heavy ominous clouds above and for 40 days and 40 nights this continues and the waters rise and rise and rise for 150 days until everything is dead except for those in the boat and we come uh, to this uh, turning point to this hinge in the story this unseen moment that wonderfully the Holy Spirit inspires Moses, the writer of Genesis, to record. 
and to record it in such a way as to, to draw our attention to it. Now, if we wanted to draw attention to something uh, today, we would highlight it. Um, we would well, do as I've done here, colour stuff in in copious uh, varieties of highlighter shade uh, so that I can, I can see what's what. Or if we were word processing, we would put it in bold or italics or underline it or all three. Um, but the ancient peoples, whenever they were seeking to draw your attention to something in the text, they had different means and ways of doing it. And one of the ways of doing it was to, to build the text up um, on either side with a similar phrase here and a similar phrase here. And then inside those first bookends, we had, as it were, a similar phrase and a similar phrase, a pair of books that matched, and then another pair that matched, and then there would be one thing in the middle that the, the attention was drawn to, like on the point of a mountain. We saw that last week, uh, then this morning in Genesis uh, 13, looking at Abram. But here's how Moses does it here. It's with numbers. And in uh, Genesis 7, we're told uh, that after seven days, Genesis 7, uh, verse 10, after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. Then Genesis, uh, and the seven's repeated a couple of times, so it's in our minds. And then um, Genesis seven seventeen: for 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. Uh, and the 40's repeated a couple of times. And then in 7.24, we're told that the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. So those three numbers, 7, 40, 150. And then in Genesis 8, verse 3, we read of the 150 again. And that's probably the, the, the same 150, just from a different angle. But it's that the, the number 150 is repeated again. And then in verse 6 of chapter 8, uh, after 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. Uh, and then Genesis 8, 10, uh, he waited seven more days. And the number seven is then repeated again in verse 12. So uh, it always seems a little odd to us. We've got seven and seven. Forty and forty. A hundred and fifty and a hundred and fifty. And these pairs stepping in. And what's, what's sandwiched in the middle? What's building up to? What's Moses and the way he's constructed the text telling us this is right at the heart of what I want you to see? But God remembered Noah. And then we're told what happened as God remembered Noah. The water receding from the surface of the earth. So God, the Holy Spirit, it's as if God the Father in directing this activity also directs God the Holy Spirit to make sure that Moses writes it down so that you and I could see it, so this would be of help to us. There's two things I want us to see here. First of all, uh, seemingly forgotten, seemingly forgotten. Have you ever been forgotten about? Remember one time, Catherine, whenever... Uh, uh, Catherine's wondering, what am I going to say? Which story is it? Um, uh, but the... <laughs> 
One time, uh, a church we had stood and talked for a long, long time. Uh, everyone has stood, uh, stood and talked back in the old days when we were young and small. Uh, and um, uh, we were packing up to go home and the doors were locked and we were getting into our cars and a cry went up that uh, Catherine's sister Ruth wasn't there. Uh, she had been forgotten about and she was locked, not just in the church, but inside the toilets. Um, forgotten about. Uh, I remember sitting one night at a train station, or one evening, afternoon even, at a train station in uh, Mischkoltz in Hungary. And it was my second year to go to Hungary in the summer. And the previous time, I, uh, one of the men on the team had been uh, this wonderfully gracious and godly man, supremely reliable. Uh, and this time we were told that... Uh, he who had already gone ahead and he was in the village that we were going to in northern Hungary and he would come and pick us up at the train station. So uh, a number of us had met up as we flew out to Hungary. We met in Budapest airport. We then got the train to Mischkoltz and we, we got off the train and I said, well, Alan will come and pick us up. No sign of Alan. I said, oh no, he's supremely reliable. He'll be there. And we sat and the Hungarian taxi men would come over and they would say, Oh, we'll take you. Where do you want to go? How many dollars do you have? And all of this. And uh, we sat there and we sat and we sat. I said, Look, he's maybe got a puncture. I know this man. He will not forget. Uh, and uh, the hours went on and the sun started to go down. And it became clear that Alan had forgotten. Although, as it turned out, he hadn't been told to go and pick us up. But we felt supremely forgotten about um, sitting there. We felt vulnerable. Uh, we didn't know how to get to the village. It was miles and miles away. We didn't even know the route that a taxi driver would take. We didn't know how much it would cost. We didn't know how. We didn't know if we'd be taken out into the countryside and held to ransom or what or what. And we, we felt forgotten about um, and alone. In a strange place. And I wonder how Noah felt here. He had taken a huge step of faith. He had built this ark. It had taken him, it would seem, in the region of a hundred years to build the ark. He had been vindicated. The rain had come. Judgment had come. He had seen those clouds and watched the rain fall and the waters rise and heard the cries of people and those cries receding as one by one they sank beneath the waves. And now silence. Day after day of silence. Perhaps not below deck where all the animals were, but they went up on top. And looked out and just saw the water stretching and stretching and stretching, unbroken. And he walked around the other side of the boat. And there they were, unbroken. They went around the other end of the boat. And there they were, just level as far as the eye could see. We're reading the, the book, uh, Unbroken, in which uh, World War II uh, pilot Louis Zamprini tells of being cast adrift on the Pacific for 47 days. And scanning the horizon to see if there was anyone, anything. Scanning the sky to see if there was anybody that could find them. Well, here's Noah. And I wonder if he felt forgotten about. 
Okay, we might say, but Mark had endured opposition for a hundred years, building the ark, mockery and rejection, but there's something very different. Our faith can flourish under opposition when it can wilt under loneliness. There's nothing to provoke it, in a sense. And okay, we're reading between the lines here, but yet it doesn't seem too far-fetched to think of that sense of loneliness, of drifting. God hadn't said how long it would take. Why does it have to be this long? I'm sure Noah wondered, as he, is he, is he looked around and saw that there wasn't a sign of life everywhere. Surely judgment has happened, it's done, it's dusted. People are dead, enough, enough. But the wait goes on and on and on. How long, O Lord? That's a phrase that we've already sung four times this evening in Psalm 13. It's over and over again in the Psalms because it's a cry of God's people. That sense of being forgotten by God. Will you be angry forever? How long, O Lord? Psalm 79, verse 5. Psalm 90, verse 13. How long, O Lord, relent, O Lord, have compassion on your servants. And I think we know that feeling of being seemingly forgotten. And what causes us to feel and to think that we're forgotten? Let me just point out three things, at least from this passage. Um, trial. Trial, Noah's circumstances or an extended trial of a hundred plus years. And it just went on and on. And now he's cooped up inside the ark. How long will that be? Perhaps you felt that with trial, with illness, or sickness, or joblessness, or temptation. How long? How long will this go on for? Matthew Henry says, Very good men. Uh, have sometimes been ready uh, to conclude themselves forgotten by God, especially when their afflictions have been unusually grievous or unusually long. Very good men have sometimes been ready to conclude themselves forgotten by God. Trial. Have you felt that? Seemingly forgotten. Judgment. The world is under judgment. But it's impacting the innocent. Well, in inverted commas. Noah was not sinless, but he has received grace from God and he is a righteous man. And here he is, he's suffering the consequences. He's, as it were, suffering the effects of God's wrath, albeit not falling on himself, but falling all around him. Have you forgotten us? How long, O oh Lord? And we live in a sinful world. And it seems that the judgment is falling all around us. And if we're any way sensitive, we can wonder how long, O oh Lord, there's international turmoil. There's Islam rising. Christians being butchered across, uh, the, across parts of Africa, across uh, the Far East. Uh, how long? Financial crises. Foolish leaders, sexual immorality of the kind that Paul tells us in Romans 1 is a judgment from God. How long have you forgotten us, 
Oh God. Seemingly forgotten. Or it might just be the same old, same old. Day in, day out, day after day. It's just the same thing. Imagine Noah cleaning out the animals, feeding the animals, seeing the same seven other faces. Day after day after day after day after day after day. Up on deck. Nothing to break the monotony. Just the same old level expanse for month after month. And we can feel like that at times in the Christian life. Not necessarily that we're fed up seeing the same faces around us. But just the same old routine. Here we are back at the start of another week. And this needs to be done again. But I just did it last week. But here we have to do it all again. Um, here we are at the start of a, another season in farming. Or here we are at the, the start of some other set of problems. And the list is always there. They're just Where is this being one of God's family and being blessed by God? Same old, same old. Be very easy for the Christian to feel forgotten, even forsaken. That's where this little verse comes in. I think it's wonderfully tender of God that he records it for us. And the second thing we see then is the verse itself. Let's, I struggle to get a heading for this, but what I've got so far is silently but actively remembered. Silently but actively remembered. We read, but God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah. And there's three things to see here. When God seems to have forgotten, when God seems to have forgotten you, he hasn't. When God seems to have forgotten you, he hasn't. And it says God remembered. That's not as if God was doing something in a galaxy far, far away and he he suddenly remembered, oh, that's right, back in the Milky Way, in the solar system, there's a little planet uh, just out from the sun a bit and there's that's covered in water. Oh, that's right. There's a boat on it and Noah's there. Oops, better get back to him. Uh, that's not the case. It's not possible for God to forget. God neither finds out things nor forgets things. He knows everything instantly and always. Psalm 147 Verse 5 says, his understanding has no limit. We're used to singing Psalm 139, where the songwriter says, you're, you're in front of me and you're behind me. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you're there. You're everywhere. Such knowledge is too amazing, too wonderful for me. In Hebrews 4.13, we read, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. Or just really simply in 1 John 3.20. John 3.20. He knows all things. He doesn't forget. Particularly he doesn't forget his people. Isaiah 49.15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? 
Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. He states it dogmatically and adamantly for us. I will not forget you. Unthinkable in all is that a mother might forget her child. I will not forget you, God says. Maybe he has forsaken us then. Maybe we think that at times. But again, over and over again in the Bible it says that he will not forsake. I will never leave you or forsake you. In Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8, God says that he would not leave or forsake Israel. In Joshua 1, 5, he says the same. Psalm 9, verse 5. But yet actually we read in Deuteronomy 31, that same chapter, verses 16 and 17, that he did forsake. Because God's people forsook him. He forsook them. They broke their covenant. The weakness was in them. They went away from God. And we think, ah, maybe that's it. Maybe he hasn't left. Maybe I've left. We're left longing for a covenant that won't be broken or for somebody to keep it in our place. And that's where we come to the the wonderful truths in the New Testament where Jesus assures his disciples, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. There's no qualification. I am with you always. You will never be forsaken. Hebrews 13 Verse 5, I will not leave you or forsake you. And why is that? It was because of that passage we sang earlier. Psalm 22, which captures for us Jesus' cry from the cross. Matthew 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that cry is because he was the one who was keeping, who was taking our breaking of the covenant and he was the one who was being forsaken so that we would never, ever, ever be forsaken. And because of Matthew 27 verse 46 or Psalm 22 verse 1, Because of what Jesus did at the cross, we can take our name and write it into Genesis 8, verse 1, with certainty. And so when it seems that God has forgotten, he hasn't. And you can know it because Jesus Christ went to the cross to make sure. And because the Christian is in Christ, God can no more forget you than he can forget his son. This is the wonderful truth before us. See, we're not just simply taking a verse from the Old Testament and ripping it out of its context and and saying, oh, well, you know, it's true of Noah, but maybe it's true of us. We have a greater sense of certainty Because of what Jesus has done and because of what Jesus has said. So when God seems to have forgotten us, he hasn't. But also, secondly, when God seems inactive, he isn't. When God seems inactive, he isn't. The word remember 
in Hebrew doesn't mean the same thing for us. It, it doesn't mean to call to mind. The word in Hebrew, uh, one writer says, especially with reference to God, signifies to act upon a previous commitment to a covenant partner. It signifies action on a previous commitment. It's not a statement about memory. It's a statement about activity. God is choosing to work on behalf of someone for their good. Uh, We read it in Genesis 19, verse 29, where we read, So God destroyed the cities of the plain, but he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe. It's action on the basis of a commitment made. He had committed himself to Abram or Abraham and said that he would spare Lot. In Genesis 30, verse 22, we read, God remembered Rachel. God remembered Rachel and he opened her womb. In Exodus 2, 24, God heard the groaning of the Israelites and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So what did he do? Well, he appeared to Moses. He took action. So when God seems inactive, he isn't. He's remembering. He's acting. This is a statement about God being at work on behalf of of his covenant people. But look, look at how it's told us. Chapter 8, verse 1 is the turning point, but God remembered Noah. Noah's going to be in the ark for probably about another 220 days. I don't know if Noah knows that God has remembered him. I don't know that Noah knows that God is starting to take action. I don't know that. It seems to me the way it's told that Noah doesn't know. It seems to me that God has inspired Moses. The Holy Spirit who knows what happened in this moment, this unseen moment, inspires Moses to write this down. Because that's what happened and it's written down for our good. Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 10, these things referring to the Old Testament are written for our benefit. And why would this be for our benefit? To, To show us that when nothing seems to be happening and our circumstances don't seem to be changing, that is when God is remembering, that is when God is acting. Something imperceptible has happened. There is a change. Maybe Noah did notice that the wind started to blow. Maybe he thought there's a storm coming again. What's happening? Uh, maybe, maybe he started to know the water's going down slightly. But it's going to be about another 210, 220 days before they step off the ark. And what does this show us? It shows us, it reminds us that God is acting even though Nothing seems to have changed. We see that in Daniel 10. Let me read from Daniel 10. 
And we've got this bit where Daniel is praying uh, for the people of Israel. And we read this in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. And then uh, it says, on the 24th day of uh, the first month, I was standing on the bank of the river and then a man appeared to him. And then in verse 12, he's told this. Then this angelic being continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you have set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. There's an unseen realm in which things happen that we can't see. And we're told this, and we see it in the book of Job where we're showing things happening behind the scenes to help us to understand and to have faith in time when we can't see what's happening behind the scenes. And this is a moment where God peels the curtains back, lets us see behind the scenes, and lets us know that we are not forgotten about and that he has started to act even when we can't see it. I think that's why there's something so lovely about this. Right at the heart of the flood story at In the middle of a story of judgment and destruction, we see a moment of God's tender care for his people. And not just for Noah, but the fact that it's recorded in the way that it's recorded means for us to learn from it. So we see God's tender care for us. God's tender care for us. The turning point. The turning point is often unseen by us. That shows us at least a couple of things. God's remembering and God's acting don't always mean instant change. God remembered Noah and the water magically disappeared and the ground dried up and they all stepped out of the ark singing and dancing. No. God remembered Noah and the water started to go down and it took a long time. And then when the ark landed, they were stuck in it for another 47 days. Maybe 54 days. Waiting for the ground to dry out and for plants to grow. God's remembering and acting doesn't mean instant change. Look at that from the other angle. Lack of change doesn't mean that God has forgotten or that God isn't acting. And there's comfort here. God hasn't forgotten, hasn't forsaken his people. Lack of visible activity isn't proof of a lack of love. God remembers. God remembers his people. God acts for his people. We see it with Joseph in Genesis. God working behind the scenes. And there's, 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 a, lo- there's, there's a lovely bit uh, in Genesis 50. One of those but God phrases. There's a couple of them uh, to look for when we get there. Uh, and so um, when God seems uh, to have forgotten us, he hasn't. When God seems to be an active He isn't, and when
haven't quite got a heading for this third one yet. I've, I've scored out in my notes because I wasn't happy with it. But I think we want to say as well, when judgment is falling around us, that doesn't mean that the glory isn't coming. Do you see what I'm saying? Judgment is falling all around uh, around Noah. And as he looks out, it must have been very hard for Noah to imagine a pristine, perfect world again. Or even a world like the one he left. It just looked like utter carnage. Uh, as the waters rose and people roared and screamed and animals made their noises. And then as things went silent, everything's covered in water. Judgment had come. Could Noah have imagined how gloriously perfect it would be? And yet it would be. God remembered. He had promised he would make everything new. And our God has done the same for us. And we might find it very hard to get our heads round it and to think, what will this world be like and what will we be like and, and how will it be and what will we do and Will God be amongst us and will I see so and so and how will I recognize him? And all of these questions about what it will be like. But God's acting and nothing can stop him from carrying out his actions. Although nothing seems to be happening at this moment, God is moving inexorably, unstoppably towards the moment when everything is made pristine and new. And that's for us too. Nothing much seems to be happening at this moment, does it, in history in 2017. But God is moving everything inexorably towards this great conclusion of everything being made new. God remembers his people. In Malachi uh, 3, uh, 16, we're told that God saw those who... um, Let me just read it because it's lovely. Malachi 3.16 Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. He sees. He takes note. He has covenanted with us that he will bring us safely home. And although little seems to be happening now, he has remembered his covenant promises and will bring us safely home. There's certainty as well as silence to God's remembering. Amidst the silence there's activity and there's certainty amidst the slowness. He hasn't forgotten the end point to which he's moving. But God remembered Noah. And just as we finish, let me uh, finish with a series of applications that I've just jotted down. Some of them we've already mentioned, but let me give them to you. Don't we see here that God sees the solitary believer adrift on a sea of trial? He hasn't forgotten. God sees that solitary believer 
and all who depend on them. Adrift on a sea of trial. Or maybe not a solitary believer, but he sees a family of believers and all who depend on them adrift in a sea of trial. And he hasn't forgotten. We've only really, we've been a bit unfair to verse 1. Because there's not a full stop after, and but God remembered Noah. It says, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. God cares for all his creation. Another application, no matter how long passes, God has not forgotten. No matter how imperceptible the actions of God, God is still acting. We need to learn not to judge by sight whether we think God cares for us, remembers us, whether he has forgotten us. We don't know over which moment the Holy Spirit would write in our lives, but God remembered. But we do know that it will be written because of that great cry of forsakenness. We will never be forsaken. And so we know, you know, but God remembered Noah is like the genesis. Well, I was going to say that it's not even the genesis equivalent, but the, the, the first chapters of Genesis, before we get to Abraham, it's like that, the, the, the equivalent in the first 11 chapters before we read Abraham of Romans 8.28 where God says, I'll work all things together for good. God remembered Noah. I'll work this for good. A flood. Destruction. Watch me work it for good. And we know that we have those promises of Romans 8.28, Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? But God remembered you. Why? Because he gave his son. He's not going to forget you. He gave his son for you. How, how wonderful. See the tenderness of God. He knows that we are dust. He knows our doubts and fears. And right at the start of his book, he gives us a reminder that no matter what, he remembers his precious people. No matter what, he remembers his precious people. So as we finish, let's remember what James Montgomery Boyce said at the start what I quoted from him if you remember these words he's referring to all the but God phrases they will transform your life completely if we recall them daily and live by them they will transform your life completely I think this one if we can remember it it will greatly help us in times when Satan whispers in our ear He doesn't care. We say, no, no, no. But God remembered Noah. He remembered me too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful statement. We shouldn't need it. In theory, we should know that you know everything 
And in theory, we should know that you care deeply for your blood-bought people, but you know how slow of brain we are at times. And we, we lose sight of this. And so we thank you that you wrote it down. You ensured that it was put in print early in Scripture and often in Scripture in different ways to remind us that you care for your people, you see their predicaments and you act. And even amidst the silence and the the confusion of our life events, we thank you that we can have the certainty that you are working all things for good, that you have not forgotten one of your people. You have not forsaken any of your children, but you are working for their good in every way. Father, we praise you for this. Help us to remember it. In Jesus' name, amen.